Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where things just don't feel right? You feel like you can't do anything right. You feel like someone always has it in for you. And yet you feel like you are walking on eggshells while dancing on your last nerve. I mean, it's really difficult. We're going to talk today with Beverly Engel. She is the author of It's Not Your Fault. And the upcoming book, Escaping Emotional Abuse. I'm so excited to welcome her to the program. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I'm so glad you're here. If you've been with us before, I'm glad that you're returning. And if you're brand new, I'm so glad that you found us. Today, we're going to be talking with Beverly Engel. She is someone who is so well-versed in the world of emotional abuse. And in particular, today, we're going to be talking about shame. Beverly is an internationally recognized psychotherapist and an acclaimed advocate for victims of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. The author of 22 self-help books, her latest book is entitled It Wasn't Your Fault, and her upcoming book is entitled Escaping Emotional Abuse. Uh, Beverly is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been practicing psychotherapy for 40 years. That gives you a lot of perspective, and I'm so glad to have you. You've had so many other interviews, including Oprah, which is always an exciting thing for everyone. (laughs) So welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, too. Um, You know, we talk a lot here about emotional, physical, sexual, financial, spiritual abuse. That's what Save Your Sanity is all about. So I was really interested as I looked more into your book, It Wasn't My Fault, that, you know, you were talking generally about things that I talk about is when we experience childhood abuse or adverse experiences or neglect, um, because of brain-mind development, And because of what's happened to you, you can experience long-carrying shame. And I think there's the shame of the abuse, and then there's the shame about yourself. (laughs) And how do you recognize that if you have deep-seated shame? Well, it's very hard to recognize unless you know what you're looking for. Um, but, But shame, we can see shame in our bodies. Uh, by our stoop shoulders and our posture, kind of looking down, having difficulty looking in the eyes of people that we're talking to, um, you know, kind of just a, a downcast kind of demeanor. Um, and we feel shame in the sense that we can feel hopeless. 
We can feel like everything is our fault. We can feel like, um, you know, if I just did something better, you know, maybe somebody would change or something would change. Um, there's a hopelessness, a helplessness, um, a feeling that, you know, I don't really have much agency in my life. I don't really have much ability to like determine the course of my life. I'm kind of a victim of life um, and always taking the blame for sure in most relationships. Yes. And also when you're shamed, you have a tendency to try to accommodate other people. Yes. You want, you want other people to like you. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I think we're a little bit over the people pleaser word all the time, but, but basically, you know, we want, we want to fit into someone else's life. We want someone else to tell us we're okay. We want someone to validate our existence. And so in that deep seated shame, we may get into behaviors that are going in that direction, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And we can go in the complete opposite direction where we, we build up a wall of defenses because we don't ever want to experience shame again. And so we determine that we're just going to keep people out. We're going to, we're not going to react to their feedback. We're going to, you know, maybe try to avoid criticism at all costs. And that might be that maybe we become critical or maybe we just always don't want to listen to somebody if they give us feedback. Uh, it's kind of a sense of like if we see the stooped over, slumped over person, the opposite would be the person who's very erect and very rigid and and not going to take anything. I'm not going to take anything from anybody. Uh, so there's kind of two extreme ways that we can show shame, both in our body and in our attitude. Well, that's interesting because from the arrogant side, from the confident uh, Mm -hmm. exterior, which isn't the truth about the interior, then we can get into people with having narcissistic tendencies, can't we? Absolutely. Because they're covering the shame. The fragility of their shame is covered by this outward, uh, who do you think you're talking to? And and it's it's a total cover-up. However... Don't everybody be putting your compassion hats on, you know, yeah. um, understanding that a person who behaves in narcissistic ways, for whatever reason, you didn't break them, you can't fix them. So right. you may understand that. But just an aside for everybody listening, that it is not your problem if somebody has narcissistic tendencies. It is your problem to do what you need to do to not be uh, susceptible to that. Or yes standing there taking it, you right, know, right. You know, one of the things that I enjoyed in, in looking around at all the things that you've done, Beverly, is that we share something that we talk about a lot, and that is self-compassion. I think that's so missing in our world, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it is being talked about now more. It is being mm-hmm. addressed more often, which is well, good which- news. Yeah, it really is. And when I was looking at, at the bits of on your, in your book, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. And everybody can do that. Go to Amazon and just have that little look inside. I was just taken with, Oh, well, we're on the same page there because we get so outgoing when we've been shamed. Like, how do I please you? How do I make mm-hmm. you happy? How do I stay out of your way? And then we forget about us. We don't start saying, what would make me happy? Right. Who would I like to be with? What kind of relationship would I like to con- to create, right? Yes, absolutely. So why is it so important 
when shame is present to recognize it? What is the dynamic that it will cause in a relationship if you are unaware of your deep-seated shame? Well, I, I divide abusers into two categories. You know, conscious abusers, abusers who are deliberately trying to control and subjugate their partner, and then unconscious abusers who really are merely repeating the behavior they experienced as a child or that they witnessed as a child. Uh, But for those people who are consciously abusing, um, they can spot somebody who has a great deal of shame from a mile away. And all they have to do is insinuate that maybe you could have done better or, you know, um, gee, I wish that you would do this or gee, I wish you would do that. And that a person who is highly shamed is going to take that on and feel horrible about themselves. And that's merely all they have to do. Now, they do a lot more than that, generally. You know, they nitpick, they find fault. You know, they're always not happy with you. And the person who is deeply shamed is just takes that on completely. They don't question, you know, why is my husband so critical? Why is he always finding something wrong with me? They don't ask that why. They just assume, okay, I did something wrong. I've got to try harder. So the never being pleased attitude of of the conscious abuser is just devastating for a person who's deeply shamed. Oh, I so agree. I often tell people that it's like the the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that I don't care anything about you. Just off with your head. That's mm-hmm. all. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not at all interested. You will never be good enough. Be- right. And of course, when we're talking about toxic people, the hijackals that I talk about, um, these toxic people make an entire life work of never being happy with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And when they tell you what they want and you do that, strangely, they always move the markers. They want something more, something more, because that dynamic has to be maintained. You will never be good enough. And so it's a perfect fit for the shame. So I want to go back to this distinction you're making between conscious and unconscious abusers, because people ask me all the time, do people with narcissistic tendencies do it on purpose? What would be your response? I would say some do and some don't. Um, You know, there are people who, again, are just repeating what they were raised to see and and the way they were raised to be. Um, They're just repeating it unconsciously. They don't even know what they're doing. A lot of narcissists don't realize that how their behavior is so hurtful to people. They're totally unconscious. They, They just go through their life and they think that they're fine. You know, they don't even realize the impact they're having. So it can be, I think narcissists can be both conscious and unconscious. Um, I think that it's what the difference is that when you, if, if a victim can finally confront her abuser, and I don't say that she has to, or that she even should, but if she can, what she will find is I've had lots and lots of clients who've experienced this, that the unconscious abuser will be more open to it. And they'll say, Oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing that. And they'll, they'll feel shame themselves and they'll feel sad and they'll feel upset and they'll want to know what they can do to change. Now I've worked with, with male victims and male survivors, um, but I've worked with male abusers and they often If they're unconscious and they haven't known they were doing it, they can make changes. You know, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. But if they really want to save their marriage or their relationship, they can do it. 
Uh, the other type, the conscious, you know, they may come in and say that they want to work on, on you know, their relationship. But it's soon really pretty evident that they don't, that they're going to maintain their stance no matter what. Right. And they come in and they honestly believe, and I tell this to my clients all the time, yes, by all means, bring your partner in. If they are, in fact, a hijack call of the type that you're calling conscious, they will come, but they come with the idea that they're the smartest person in the right. room. They are going to manipulate me right. into coming to their point of view, and then together we're going to re-wound the person who was looking for help. Right, right. Yeah. 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 I won't e- I won't even see couples in that situation anymore. But I will work with 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 abusers who really do want to change and I can tell pretty quickly if they if they really are going to be able to. And I mean able to because some are not really even able to. Their defenses are so strong that it would take years and years and years to get them to become vulnerable because we know that one of the worst things for an abuser is to feel vulnerable. And to feel vulnerable with me and let their guard down and admit how they really feel and who they really are is a huge task that only a few can can really accomplish. Well, we've had the same experience, you know. I <laughs> I I certainly think I do ask people to bring to come in together if there's any question. And and here's why, Beverly, because usually the person who came to me first is looking for validation that they're right about the other person. Mm -hmm. And so when they come in as a couple and I get to see the behaviors, you know, if a person is a conscious abuser, is a conscious narcissist in that sense that you're talking about, they, they follow right along with what you were saying. Like I tell people all the time, don't poke a, don't poke a hijackal. Um, don't call them out on their stuff because they'll mm-hmm. just be enraged, you know, yes. and it'll all come back to be your fault. But what happens when the couples come in after a couple of sessions and all, and I start saying, well, what do you think your part is in this to a hijackal? The hijackal is infuriated. They soon show their true colors. And then, of course, we end up with them trotting off and, and uh, making accusations about my lineage. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, they can go off and say that I wear trench boots. That's okay with me. But at least my clients are validated in that. Oh, there we go. You know, Mm -hmm. here's what we needed to see. And yes, that's the Mm -hmm. case. So you say that shame is the most destructive of all emotions. Why do you think it's the most? Well, for one, it's hidden and we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't, you know, address it often enough. That's one of the reasons why it's the most damaging. Um, but it does operate in a, such a hidden way that most people don't know how they're carrying shame or that they're carrying shame. Uh, that's the main reason. But shame is so debilitating. It, it, it affects us in every single way you can think of. Uh, it, you know, it causes us to feel confused to not be able to make a decision clearly, you know, to always blame ourselves, to even be self-destructive. In the extreme, shame causes self-destructive behavior, such as, um, you know, cutting and and self-harm, uh, alcoholism, right. drug addiction, porn addiction. So it it's it has a part in our our most severe addictions. 
it's the core of our most severe addictions for sure. Um, I mean, I could go on and on as to why it's the most damaging. Right. Well, I think you brought up some good points. And in, even if you don't get active in the field of like cutting yourself or doing something that's very active, it can definitely lead you down the path of self-loathing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in that situation, the chances of having a healthy relationship with life or another human mm-hmm. being are diminished. Yes. So this is a very, very important piece to come to light. I know that I was very informed by John Bradshaw's work very long mm-hmm. time ago on these issues, and sounds as though you certainly have been too. Um, so I think that this, this difference that he made and that you, you and I probably make as well, the difference between shame and guilt is a really important thing to understand because if, if we're deeply shamed, we think we're bad, but if we feel guilty, we think we've done something bad. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when thinking we've done something bad leads to shame. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, there, how? What yes. would you say about that connectivity? Well, I think a person who's deeply shamed walks through life just assuming that they're wrong. You know, if 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 a friend is upset or if their partner's upset, it must be because of something I've done. You know, children think in those ways. You know, <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> right, right, and the and a healthy person outgrows that. They come to realize that that they're not the center of the world and everything isn't their fault. But someone who's deeply shamed does not outgrow that. They kind of stay arrested in that stage of development mm-hmm. where everything is their fault. Everything comes back to them. And again, that sets them up to be a, a good target for any kind of an abusive situation. Um, but they they walk through life like that. So you know, if I'm always wrong and everything is always my fault, I never get to feel any sense of control in my life. I never get to feel any sense of agency or that I have any chance of, of accomplishing what I want or, you know, having a partner that really loves me and cares about me, you know, because I'm such an essential failure and so bad. And that's, and that, you know, like the self-loathing is extremely good way to, to talk about it. Um, I just hate myself so much. And I assume that anybody who is with me that, that wants to be with me, either there's something wrong with them, because why would they want to be with me? Because I'm so unlovable, right. you know? Uh, and so a lot of people who are deeply shamed will push away anyone who comes their way, who does, who is capable of loving them and accepting them. They won't be able to believe it. They loathe themselves so much, they won't believe that somebody really loves them and cares about them. And they'll push them away and they'll self-sabotage. If they do achieve in a career or they do achieve at school, they won't believe it. They won't believe that they could accomplish that. And so they will sabotage it in some way. It's so true. I mean, I was raised by two hijackals and I'm an only child. So woohoo, two of them behaving that way. And besides that, there was uh, sexual abuse in my family. Mm-hmm. 
my very small family. Um, mm. So I understand completely what you're saying because the work that one has to go through if one really cares about oneself and recognizes these patterns, it is continuous because it continues to show up that way. Right. And you can get to the place too um, where somebody says they love you and you honestly see the behaviors that, that look like love, but then you can see the other side too. And you're, you're more willing to believe the other side until yeah. you can get some balance back in your mm-hmm. life. Yes. You know, you know, like, as you said, so rightly, well, who would, who would, who would, who would love me? I mean, mm-hmm. who am I fooling? It looks like love, but mm-hmm. who would love me? And then there's that other piece of not wanting to get caught out. So, okay, they say they love me, but I could see three ways where I could be misinterpreting what it is they're saying and doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah. in that misinterpretation, I can then discount myself again and yes. say, oh, well, of course, you know, but I'm smart enough to see their manipulation. And yet, of course, I can't let the love in. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the self-loving, loathing and the feeling unlovable, you know, I think are just two of the main, you know, signs of, of shame. Yes. And when we think about being shamed, I think it's, it's so insidious it kind of comes in through your pores it's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that was verbally said although frequently it is yeah but when you think of neglect that's a shaming behavior that you're mm-hmm. not worth spending time with you're right. not worth paying attention to in fact right. you may not be even worth having eye contact with right right yeah um neglect is is very very shaming because the child walks away with the message that if my own mother or my own father doesn't want to be with me or doesn't want to care about me or doesn't care about me, there must be something horribly wrong with me. Yes. You know, it couldn't be that there's something wrong with them. It's always that there's something wrong with me. Otherwise, they'd want to take care of me or they'd want to be with me. They'd want to hold me, you know. Um, so, yeah, neglect is, is a very shaming experience. And that speaks to our brain-mind development. So for everybody who doesn't know all about this, let me just insert that. Until we're about six or seven, you know, our brain is is not fully functioning, not fully developed when we're born. And at about six or seven, we get the use of our parietal lobes and our prefrontal lobes start to come in. Up until then, we're just kind of a sack of emotional nerve endings saying, how do I fit? How do I get the giants Mm -hmm. to take care of me? And that's what you were talking about. And I speak of so frequently is that in, in that situation, um, you're endeavoring to say, it's my task to get you to take care of me. And if you don't take care of me, there must be something wrong with me, something that I'm not doing or I should doing. And I need you. I mean, we're born knowing that we don't even have the ability to move from one space to another. We're totally at the mercy of these people to take care of us. And if they're not thrilled with our existence or didn't really plan it or don't have love to give the child takes that all on don't they yes absolutely absolutely 
you know, they really have no other choice. They, they have to take it on. That's the only way they can think, you know. Yeah, and it's something that we all need to notice because, you know, some people say, oh, well, I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to go back into my life. Well, things got planted in there and those things are growing and not all of those plants are going to bloom. They're going to some of them be weeds and the ones Mm -hmm. that are weeds may strangle your blossoms, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really important to have a third person be able to sit out and if you're in a relationship, a third person, or to go to a therapist one-on-one, to have someone ask you questions so that you can have moments of going, oh, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was hidden. That I'd, I'd forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and that's not the sense I made of that when I was a kid. No, it isn't. But let's look at it with adult eyes, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. So it's it's very important for people to understand that getting help with these situations is showing a strength on your part. It's saying, I deserve to have a great life. I deserve to have functional, loving, healthy relationships. And if I'm not having those, let me find out what I can do differently, how I can perceive myself differently, what might be hidden in my past that is keeping the lid on my joy, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And one one I offer about, about five tools to uh, to go back and heal your shame. Uh, or the shame that you're currently experiencing with emotional abuse. And one is anger, is Mm -hmm. to give yourself permission to feel angry about what has happened to you both currently and in the past. And that's very difficult for highly shamed people to do. Uh, It's in a sense, anger is kind of the opposite of shame. So, you know, it's hard to get them to realize that these things happened to you and they were not okay. And you have a right to be angry about it. So that's a kind of a big piece. In addition to self-compassion, I would say those two are the biggest tools for, for dealing with shame. And where do the people find those tools, Beverly? Well, they can find them in my books, of course. Um, but um, in therapy, you know, a but good therapist. Yes, I, I agree with that. But I wanted to know in which book they might find those. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. Well, certainly my latest book, I lay out a program for healing your shame. Uh, the, um, you know, the, the book about escaping emotional abuse. The subtitle is Healing Your Shame, he- Healing the Shame You Don't Deserve. So in my latest book, but It's Not Your Fault also uh, has a program in it about healing your shame mm-hmm. in general, the shame of, of childhood abuse in general. Really good. And for those who are more interested in in diving into that, go to Amazon. The books are there. It's not my fault. And soon, escaping emotional abuse. So those things are there for you. But you can also find really good things on Beverly's website, healmyshame.com. I had a good look around in there preparing for this interview. And there are some very fine things to read there. Definitely go into the resources and into the blogs and into the I'm saying no category (laughs) and have a good look around there. So. I'd like to depart a little bit and go back to something we touched on a little earlier. And you say that shame's counter emotion is pride. Can you say some more about that? 
And I'm not talking about the kind of pride that we're told we shouldn't have. I'm talking about feeling good about your accomplishments, feeling good about your positive qualities, Mm -hmm. feeling good about what you're able to do. Uh, Because shame is so debilitating and makes us feel like we can't do anything. So um, if someone's deeply shamed, I will ask them, what did you do recently that you feel proud of? Just name one thing if you can. And it's often very, very difficult for them to think of one thing that they've done. Um, what's, What's a feeling that you had even that you feel happy that you've been able to have? You know, what's new as you've been working with me? You know, what's new in your life? What, what, what have you brought into your life that's, that's positive? So that's what, that's the kind of pride I'm talking about. Uh, when shame just makes you feel like you're just the worst thing in the world, pride can lift you up just a little bit, just a little mm-hmm. bit at a time. Like, yeah, I've been coming to therapy for two months and, or yeah, my, my daughter came to me the other day and said, you know, mom, I like the way you are, you're acting. You're, you're acting different now. Just little things can help somebody who's deeply shamed to just start lifting themselves up just a little bit at a time. Yes. So I'm glad we clarified that because people might read the word pride and they go, oh, no, no, that's a bad thing. I'm not right. supposed to have any pride. Right. So, But we are supposed to get in touch with the fact that you can have a healthy balance. I do some things well, some other things maybe need mm-hmm. some attention and mm-hmm. we can balance that up. And maybe we don't call it pride. Maybe we just call it healthy self-esteem mm-hmm. um, so that I, I'm able to access that place where I can say, Yes, I I did that. You know, I had an experience yesterday, which um, kind of blew my socks off because I was raised in this very dysfunctional way. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I got my PhD in psychology in 1989. So I've been working to help people because there was no help for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's say a word about that too for listeners, because if you live in a small town as I did when I was young uh, and I wanted help, when I went and said, you know, my mother does this or my father does that, the whole thing that I heard was, how dare you say that about your mother? She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I often say on this show, Beverly, that that hijackles paint a public picture of perfection. Oh, yeah. And at home, they provide a private place of pain. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. And so it's very important for us to realize that if we were in a situation where this big show was being put on by an abuser, or you're in a situation mm-hmm. where at work, in the community, at church, wherever, an abuser looks good right. to the world, then it diminishes your chances sometimes of thinking you'll be believed because everybody thinks they're wonderful. Absolutely. And yeah, it's so important to go and talk to Beverly or come and talk to me about that kind of thing because mm-hmm. it's so important. So here's the piece I wanted to end on. So the link between shame and the development of narcissistic tendencies, that place where you're so deeply shamed that it comes out in armor, not mm-hmm. not the armor. Not the armor that is helpful, which I call Teflon, which means that you're going to let that stuff slip off, but armor that says, I am wonderful. I am the best thing that ever happened to you. How dare you have a negative thought about me in any way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there is, like you said, a very strong connection between narcissism and that armor. And it's a physical, emotional armor. And, um, you know, if, if, 
and we can, there's all kinds of gradations here. So you don't have to be a full-blown narcissist to have that armor. You just have to be a person, and it's not a conscious decision, who made the decision, I'm not going to be shamed ever again. Okay, well, how do you do that? How do you never be shamed again? Well, you don't ever let anything in. You don't ever listen to anybody's feedback. You never admit you're wrong. You never admit a mistake. That's how you're never shamed again. I've had a client who who said to me, I'm so full of shame that I'm up to here in shame. And if I have any more shame, I'm going to drown. And so that's why I don't ever listen to anybody. I don't ever listen to any negative feedback. Mm. So you don't have to be a full-blown narcissist to have that kind of sense that I have to have armor here to protect myself. I can't be any more shamed at all. You know, so I have to really protect me. Mm-hmm. That's actually, Beverly, why I created the, and trademarked the term hijackles, because people were going to the internet and they were saying, well, my partner, my mother, whatever behaves this way. And they were mistaking the internet for a clinical mental health professional. So they were coming back with a diagnosis. And I wanted to say, no, no, no. Yeah. They can be just tendencies. They can be yeah. patterns of behavior. We don't yeah. need a diagnosis. And heaven right. knows that narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, <laughs> and some border lines are never going to go and get a diagnosis. So that's a moot point. What we need to know is how to recognize the traits, patterns, cycles, and behaviors so that we can say, oh, just like your book title says, it wasn't my fault. Because a hijackal is going to take anything you put on them, any Mm -hmm. slight thing that you'd like to say doesn't work for you. And in a nanosecond, it will be your fault. Yes. And they're experts at that experts yeah. yeah yeah so so it's so important so this link is very key and very also important to recognize is nobody needs a diagnosis to have right. tendencies to behave like this and right. and this it is a shame based thing and if a person can't have self compassion for themselves and recognize their shame yeah you can have compassion for it but you can't fix it so don't no. be don't be the person who's running after. Oh, if if the, if that person just knew how much I love them, they would yeah. they would feel relaxed and they could relax into that. No, no. you didn't break it. You can't fix it. Yeah, so important yeah. to know. And if that person is that armored, they can't take love in. Like we were talking before, they can't take the love in anyway. So it's really a waste of time to, to devote your life to somebody with the idea that I'm going to fix them. They won't even let it in. That's right. So important. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. (laughs) Yes. We'll have to do this a few times. Yes, I'd love um, it. Because this this is the kind of conversation that we need to have people say, oh, that's just what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. That's how Mm -hmm. it feels. That's what's going on. And to have hope. Turn off the hope that the hijackal is going to change. Yeah. They're not going to change. No. Turn off the hope that that person who love bombed you in the beginning and was everything you ever thought you wanted is the real person. They're not. That was the gotcha factor that I write about in yeah. my book, Escaping the Hijackal Trap. But 
what's important is to understand that you can be escaping emotional abuse. And Beverly has written this great book that will help with that. And we'll talk about that again in a, in a couple of months so that we can get deeply into those aspects. So this is a great yeah. uh, opening to that conversation. Thank you so much for being my guest. Do you have anything you'd like to leave listeners with? No, I'm just really enjoyed it. I hope we can do it again. Oh, we will do it again. I'm I'm excited that that's something you'd like to do. Um, my guest today has been Beverly Engel. She is a licensed psychotherapist, and she's the author of 23 and almost 24 books. So lots of wisdom there. And what I love about it is she and I work in the same field. We're on your side. We want you to yes, understand absolutely. what emotional abuse is all about. We want you to recognize it. We also want you to understand it's not your fault. So yeah. you know what I'm going to say? First of all, go to healmyshame.com. That's Beverly's website. And you know, you can always find me at fourrelationshiphelp.com. But in the meantime, until we talk again, take very good care of yourself because you're precious, you matter, and no one should shame you. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.